0: I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. You can follow along in your bulletin, we're going to be reading from two portions of God's Word today, Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 17. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father. may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your, <clears throat> your word this morning and we come to some parts of your word, Father, that are especially precious. Parts of your word today, Father, that are filled with a sense of wonder and mystery and awe. And yet here they are. You've revealed them to us. And so I, help, I pray that now you'd help us, that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal the truth directly from your word to our souls, that we understand it, that we can see what you've said and, and see its glory, that we behold the panorama today of your glory and your word. And we know, Lord, that as we see your glory, we're transformed into your image from one degree of glory to another. So I ask you to do that this morning. As we catch a vision of your glory in your word, would you transform us? We look forward to you doing this, Father, with expectation. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, last week we began, we introduced our new sermon series called You Are Here. The idea that we're exploring in this series is that the Bible is one story, and you are part of that story, and Jesus Christ is the main character of that story. We talked last week about the fact that this story, like every good story, has a plot, has a storyline. And the storyline is how God created this world, and then this world fell into rebellion and sin against him. And then how God put into motion a plan of redemption through a series of progressive covenants that God made with Noah and Abraham and Israel and David. And then God's plan of redemption reached its climax in the coming of Christ, who is the fulfillment of each one of these covenants that God made with our fathers Jesus is the one that each covenant had been pointing to and promising. He is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham, as Matthew 1.1 says. Jesus has come as the king of the world. But we know that Christ's kingdom hasn't come in its fullness yet. So much of this world is, is still in rebellion to his authority. And so Jesus has given us, his people, a mission to fulfill until he comes back and establishes his kingdom in its final fullness. That's the big idea in this series. The Bible's one story. Jesus Christ is the main character. And we all, whether we know it or not, are a part of this story today. Because the story of the Bible is, is just the story of human history. It's just the story of the world. It's just the story of each one of us. So in this series, from now up until Christmas, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to walk through the story one step at a time, seeing how God has been building his kingdom through this series of covenants with with the fathers like we mentioned, with Abraham, with Noah, with Israel, with David. And then how Jesus has fulfilled each one of those covenants. How he is the one that we have all been waiting for. And then after Christmas, what we're going to do is take several months actually to, to see how all of this, this big picture, this big story, should affect the way that we read the Bible, affect the way that we understand our place in history, and should affect our understanding of what we're supposed to do next. What's our place in this story? So what I just did in about, I don't know what that was, two minutes, is I tried to give a summary of last week's sermon. And that's difficult because last week's sermon was a summary in some ways of the whole series. And so if you weren't here with us last week, I'd really encourage you to go back to our website and, and to go listen to the message. You can also read it with this series. We're start, I'm starting to put up my, my, my manuscript so you can read the messages there on the website. You can subscribe to the podcast to make sure it always gets to your device. And, um, but, but make sure you find a way if, if you're going to track along with this series to, to, to listen to last week because it was important in setting the trajectory and the foundation for what we're going to be doing. So, today we're beginning this journey. We're beginning at the, at the very beginning of this big, long story together. Except that's not actually fully true because, because, in order to really understand this story, we can't just go back to the beginning, we have to go back to before the beginning. That's true in most important stories. I don't know if you've noticed, many stories don't actually begin where the story begins because that's too soon. You have to go back to before the story began. Think of how many movies have a prologue, how many books have a, have a, have a prologue that says, okay, here's, here's the backstory. Okay, now we're able to know what's going forward. Or think of if you've read a biography lately, how many biographies that describe an individual don't begin The moment that person was born, they began with that person's parents or or even further back to help understand the story before the story. And the Bible is no different. The Bible doesn't just tell us the biggest story ever told. The Bible tells us at least something about the backstory. And we see that when we consider the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God Created the heavens and the earth. Notice how the Bible begins, and in that very first verse, it, it describes the creation of everything that we know and see. And it's easy to read that and say, well, there's there's no backstory there. I mean, it just begins at the beginning, right? But it does. Listen carefully. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created The biggest story ever told begins with the creation of the heavens and the earth by someone. Someone made them. The person who made them would have had to be there before he made them. And so in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God was already there. Other places in the Bible tell us this. Maybe this seems obvious to you, but it's significant as we're going to see. Psalm 90, which we read at the beginning of our service, before the earth was formed, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is eternal. God was there from before the beginning. There's never been a time where God was not. God always has been and always will be. We see this also in Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That is God. What we're considering here is not just a note of chronological information. What we're considering here is, is one of the fundamental realities that sets God apart from us. See, we were each created There was a time when we were not. There was a time where there was no us. My kids don't understand that quite yet. That I knew stuff before they were around. I was a functioning adult before they were around. That there even was a time before they were around. And that's true for all of us. But God is not like this. God is the creator. Nobody created him. He never came into being. There's never a time, if you're to press rewind on the universe and then go back as far as you can, there'd never be a time where there was no God. He never started. He always has been. If you think about this for too long, it can make your head spin. Literally, it can make your head spin. When I was younger, I used to try to figure this out, and I would actually develop physical nausea. And that shouldn't surprise us. We, we can't fathom this kind of existence. Like Elohu said in Job thirty-six twenty-six, he said, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. So in the beginning, there was a person, God, God who had never had a beginning, God who always had been. That's where we begin our journey together. Now, in the rest of our time this morning, we're going to ask two really important questions. First, what was God doing before the beginning? Before God made the heavens and the earth? What was going on? The second question we're going to ask is, why did God create everything? If there was a time when there was only God, why did God decide to create us, to create the universe? Why did God decide to tell this greatest story ever told? I don't know if you've ever asked those questions before. I don't know if maybe if you are not quite sure if it's okay to ask those questions this morning. There's a story, I'm not sure if it's true, but someone asked St. Augustine, what was God doing before he created the world? And St. Augustine said he was creating hell for the curious. (laughs) I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true, if I can disagree with St. Augustine, which might be foolish. I think what we're going to see today is that asking and answering these questions what was God doing? and Why did he make us? The ans- asking and answering these questions is crucial to properly understanding our story, our place in this story, and in fact, the whole story all together. So the first question we're asking is, what was God doing before the beginning? There's much we don't know, obviously. There's much we don't know. But what the Bible does tell us is that for all of eternity, God has been enjoying the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. I hope you know that God is a Trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we think of a son, we hear that Jesus is the only begotten Son. that He was begotten of the Father. It's tempting for us to think about that in terms of human relationships. So I'm a father with two sons, and there was a time where I didn't have sons, and then I begat them, and now I have sons. But this is not the case with God the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. There was never a time when Jesus was not with his father. In the words of of the ancient creed, Jesus is begotten, not made. Jesus is eternal like his father. It has always been there with him. Jesus spoke about this in, in John chapter 17, which is a, a, that whole chapter is, is a prayer that Jesus is praying to his father. In John chapter 17, verse 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is eternal. He has always been with his Father. So how is this possible? How is it possible to be begotten but not made? The Son, but a Son who has always been there. Well, the book of Hebrews helps us understand this. The book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, sorry, verse 3, speaks about the Son of God and about his glory. And it says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, he, that's the Son, whom we now know to be Jesus Christ, he is, listen to these words, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Okay, so here's the, here's the picture that this is painting, the mental picture that we need to try to understand. It's like if you imagine God the Father is the sun in the sky. Different sun now. This is S-U-N, sun. Imagine this, this picture. God the Father is the sun in the sky. And Jesus is the radiance of that glory, which means that Jesus is the rays shining out from that sun. That's what this word radiance is pointing to. If the Father is the sun, then Jesus is the sun rays. And you can... See that the the sun rays come from the sun. You could say that the sun begets the sun rays. The sun rays have an origin in the sun. But you never have the sun without the sun rays. They're always together. If you have the sun, you've got sun rays. It's not like you can have a sun that's not shining. It's not possible. They're always together. And The sun's rays are a perfect representation of the sun, right? When we see the sun, what are we actually seeing? We're seeing the sun's rays that strike our retinas, and what we see is an exact representation of the sun, which is what this is saying. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So this is just a small way of understanding. If you have that mental picture, which is not perfect because we can never fully understand these things, but if the Father is the Son, S-U-N, then Jesus Christ is the rays shining out from the Son, and so he is begotten of the Father, but has always eternally been with the Father. And when we look a little bit deeper into what Scripture tells us, we see that this this relationship that was existed between the father and his son between god the father and the radiance of his glory that there's been a relationship there and that for eternity this has been a relationship of perfect love god the father is overflowing with perfect eternal boundless energetic love for his son we see that in his words from heaven when jesus was baptized You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then later on the mountain, when Jesus was transfigured, God said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Beloved. And this love has been there since the beginning. This powerful, eternal, overflowing love between father and son has been there from the very beginning. If we go back to Jesus' prayer in John 17, in verse 24, to verse that we read in your bulletin. Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I feel like as we talk about these things, we're 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 all entering into the holy of holies almost. This is mystery and wonder of of the highest order. But Jesus invited us in. He prayed in front of his disciples. Knowing John would write these things down for us, we've been invited into this mystery, this wonder that before the beginning, before there was anything else, there was love, perfect, eternal, boundless love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is a God of relationship. This helps us understand why we are so wired for relationships. Because God made us like him. We're going to see that next week when we talk about creation. We've been made in his image, and part of what that means is we're similar to him. And isn't it true that in our own lives, some of our greatest joys, our biggest Moments of happiness, satisfaction come from moments of good relationships with others, peaceful, settled, no tension. Isn't that what we're all chasing with, like, our, the picture we might have in our heads of the perfect family Christmas or the perfect day out with friends or even the perfect romance? What's, what, what are we chasing in that? Is, is this dream that's kind of wired into each of us of perfect relationship? And that's an echo of the fact that we've been created by a God who has always eternally been enjoying perfect relationship between the members of the Trinity. Perfection, delighting in perfection. Think of that. God has unlimited energy. He never has to worry about talking too long and staying up all night or saying the wrong thing. All all the things that trip us up in our relationships None of that with God. Perfection, delighting in perfection with unlimited energy, unlimited resources, unlimited time forever and ever. This is the eternal glory of God. And we can't can't take it in. We literally can't fathom how great this eternal joy of God is. So that's one answer to the question. What was God doing before the beginning? Enjoying the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. And we could chew on that for the rest of this morning. We could chew on that for the rest of our lives. But Scripture tells us more. Scripture also tells us that before the foundations of the world, before the beginning of the biggest story ever told, one of the things that God was also doing was planning the story. God was planning out The plan of redemption and this great big story that we're learning about. See, God, if you think of him as an author, planned out his story in detail before he began to tell it. There's some authors that don't do that. Some authors are just a step ahead of their characters as they write a story. Some people imagine God to be that way, not knowing what's going to happen next and sort of responding to every little change. And that's not what Scripture tells us. What Scripture tells us is God has never once had to resort to a plan B. Everything was planned in detail from the beginning. We see this all over Scripture. We think of what he said in the book of Isaiah, I am God and there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning, or Ephesians 11, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, but specifically Thinking about this aspect of him planning before the ages begin. Think of a verse like Titus 1:2, which talks about eternal life. Listen to this. Which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin. God promised eternal life before the ages began. Who did God make that promise to? It wasn't to us because we weren't around. This speaks to that relationship between the members of the Trinity. And we're going to come back to that. Think of another verse like 2 Timothy 1.9. Speaks of God's own purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Eternal life. God's purpose. God's grace. Were there being promised and given from before the beginning. And not just as general ideas, because what scripture tells us even more specifically is that God from the beginning chose exactly which individuals he would lavish his grace and eternal life on. And I get that from Ephesians 1 verse 4, which says that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him. If you know Christ, it's because he chose you before the mountains existed. I'm aware of the fact that as soon as I say those words, many people, and I don't know who all this includes, if there's anyone in this room, but I know that many people struggle mightily with that idea of God choosing some people Which necessarily means that he didn't choose other people. God being this sovereign doesn't seem to jive with our understanding of how things should work. There's some challenges we have to this idea. We've been raised in a democracy, we've never had a king rule over us a king whose word is law. We don't choose him, he chooses what happens. For much of human history, that's the system of government they were used to, absolute monarchy. And the idea of God being an absolute monarch is hard to swallow if we've grown up being used to the fact that we choose our leaders, not the other way around. Even in more recent human history, in the past several decades, we've all been raised in a culture of individualism. We are the most important person in the world. We can be whatever we want to be. We get to express ourselves however we want to express ourselves, and no one gets to tell us not to. And those are some of the reasons why we may struggle with God being sovereign and choosing before the foundations of the world whom he would save. But that's what the Bible tells us, that our lives are not determined by our choosing, but by God's choosing. And that if we chose God, it's because he chose us first. The Bible teaches this in so many places. It's, it's amazing how it just sort of slips out in just sort of by-the-way ways. Acts chapter 13, for example, It's talking about the Apostle Paul preaching a sermon in Antioch, preaching to a big group of Jews and Gentiles. And listen to these words. It says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed did you hear that? The ones who believed were the ones who had been appointed to eternal life. Maybe this part of this teaching is hard for you to swallow this morning. Maybe you struggle with God being this sovereign. I'd encourage you to search the scriptures, see if these things are true. Try reading through Romans chapter 9, for example, this week, slowly and carefully. Ask God to make your heart open to his truth. And I'd I'd love to talk to you. If I've kicked some bees in your bonnets this morning, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But let's step back into the context of our message this morning. Because why did I bring this up? Why did we talk about this? Because we're talking about the things that scripture tells us God was doing before the foundations of the world. And it tells us that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And we need to see how wonderful this is. If you know Christ this morning, just stop and consider that before the furthest star had lit up, Before time began, before there was the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, before there was anything, God knew you, and God chose you. Do you see that this isn't something we should just argue about? This is something that should make us speechless. And we should remember this truth. The next time you feel like God has forgotten you, remember, before the foundations of the world, he chose me. Next time you're tempted to be jealous of someone else because they got something you don't remember, before the foundations of the world, God chose me. We talked last week about the fact that we have a part in this biggest story ever told. And what this is telling us is that before this story even began, God chose our part in that story. This, this is an amazing truth that should cause our souls to relate to God and such a different way than, than if we didn't know. It should change how we relate to other people. There's so much here. But we're not preaching a sermon about this. We need to go back into the flow of what we're talking about. What God was doing before the beginning, planning out this big story in detail and enjoying the love and the fellowship of the Trinity. And all of that is to answer our first big question. What was God doing before the beginning? But there's a second big question that we said we were going to answer this morning, which is why did God decide to do what he did? Why did God decide if he was happy and satisfied in the fellowship of the Trinity? Why did he make us? Why did he make the universe? Why did he make people? Why did he do this? What we can at least start with is by saying that it's not because he needed anything. It's not because he was lonely. God didn't need our love. There's a song today that says that he, he didn't want heaven without us. I'm not so sure that that's the best answer to this question. See, God is so different from us. We have needs. We need stuff from outside of ourselves to live. I need to drink water and eat food, right? We have needs for air, the internet, things like that, that we need to survive, right? But the Bible tells us that God has no needs outside of himself. He is self-sufficient, truly and perfectly. And within the fellowship of the Trinity, God has always been happy and satisfied. So why did God make us? The stunning answer is that God designed the plan of redemption and God created the universe in order, God the Father did this in order to express His love for His Son. We're talking about the biggest story ever told, and the biggest story ever told is a love story between the members of the Trinity. We saw this last week when we heard about God's plan to unite all things in Jesus. God's desire that Jesus be preeminent in all things. And we see today God's love for his son. And we can understand that God has done all of this to bring glory to his son because he loves him. We saw it again today. Think of some of these verses that we've read already today. 2 Timothy 1.9 speaks of his own purpose and grace. Listen to this. Which he, speaking of the Father, gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Just think about that. If God gave us grace in Christ Jesus, what that means, if you understand how this works, is that God gave a gift of grace to Christ Jesus And we get access to that gift because we are in Christ, right? The Bible speaks about that. When it talks about us being righteous in Christ, it's because Christ is righteous. And we are in Christ, so therefore we are righteous. So God gave us a gift in Christ Jesus. What that's saying is that before the ages began, God gave a gift of grace to his son, Christ Jesus. I mean, that has to be true because we weren't there to receive the gift before the ages began. There's a gift being given. It wasn't to us. The Father gave a gift before the ages began to his Son. That grace that saves us. Our salvation is a gift given from the Father to the Son before the ages began. And now listen carefully what that means. We're going to see this in other places in the Bible here. But listen, what that means is that We are a gift from the father to his son, Jesus, given before the beginning. The father gave to his son the gift of a redeemed people who would love and worship and bring glory to him forever. The gift was the gift of salvation, us, so that we could love Jesus forever. Have you heard, that? have you thought about that before? That you, if you know Christ, are a gift from the Father to the Son because He loves Him. Jesus spoke about this. John chapter 6, verse 37, He said this All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We heard these words, we see these words again in John chapter 17, which we've heard from a few times this morning. Verse 6 in John 17 says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. See it again in verse 24, which is there in your bulletin. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So God gave to his son the gift of a redeemed people. Why? What's the goal? What's the goal of that? Why did he give this people and give grace and eternal life to them and give them to his son? John chapter 17, verse 26, in your bulletin. Jesus said, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. That, so so that, here's the goal of everything. Listen, please, so carefully here. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? This is the goal of us being given to him as a gift is so that, The very love that God the Father has for his Son would be in us. So that eternally we will be enabled to love Jesus Christ with the very same love that God the Father has for him right at this moment. Can can you even take that in? Do you see how beautiful this picture is when we put it all together? The plan of salvation from start to finish. A gift of love from the father to the son. The father promising his son a people. A bride. Who would love him forever. With the very love that the father has for him. And then Jesus came in obedience and love for his own father. And he came from heaven and sought his bride. And made himself known to her. And then he took her debt of sin upon himself and paid for it all on the cross so that she, us, could be forgiven. And one day this bride, this people, this gift is going to be made perfect and complete and we are going to spend eternity loving Jesus with the very same love that the Father has for him right now in these moments. Do you see that our eternal destiny is to be caught up into this love between the members of the Trinity that has been going on before we were ever around. And the greatest story ever told is that we get to step in and be a part of that forever. I've so prayed this morning that God would open the eyes of our heart to understand this because it's so big. There's a thing in us that when we encounter things that are this big, we sometimes just can't take them in. Our our minds, our souls just can't comprehend something so big. So I've been praying, and in these moments I'm asking that God would help us to get a taste, a vision of how big this plan of salvation is. I hope you see clearer than ever how Jesus really is the main character of this story. This whole story from front to back is about the father expressing his eternal, boundless, volcanic love for his son by giving him the gift of a people who will worship him perfectly forever. And we are that gift. Now, let's answer a really honest question this morning. What if this sounds disappointing? Like, we're just a gift from the Father to the Son, just an accessory in the story. See, many of us have gotten used to hearing the gospel being presented in ways that make it sound like we are the main character in the story. God didn't want heaven without us. He did all of this just to be with us. It can be tough to hear that we are just a gift from the Father to the Son. But doesn't the Bible say that God loves us and Saved us because he loves us? Doesn't John 3.16 say that for God so loved who? The world that he gave us his son? And what we seem to be seeing here is the opposite, that God so loved his son that he gave them the world. Which is it? Does God love us or does God love his son? Is Jesus a gift to us or are we a gift to Jesus? Do you know what the answer is? Yes. The answer is yes. God does love you this morning. God loves you more deeply, more truly, more powerfully than you have the strength to take in right now. And listen to this. When you love someone, you want what's best for that person, and you work as hard as you can to give them what is best for them forever could God have done anything better for us than to make us a gift to his son? Than to cause us to become like Jesus and to cause us to be able to love Jesus with the very love that he has for Jesus and to bring us to a place where we will get to worship Jesus with unlimited love and energy for all of eternity. Could God have loved us in any greater way than to do that for us? Do you see? There's no tension here between God's love for his son and God's love for us because the love that he shows for his son in giving us as a gift to him is the most loving thing in the universe that he could do for us. So there's no tension. There's no competition. Yes, God loves us. And yes, God loves his son. And in loving his son, he loves us in the greatest way imaginable. And this is the happy ending of the biggest story ever told. Our joy forever, our eternal unlimited joy and God's eternal glory in the worship of Jesus Christ coming together in perfect unity forever. This is what God was enjoying and what God was planning from before the beginning This is the goal that God's been working towards with every covenant that he made. And as he spoke the universe into existence, this is the goal. This goal of us being wrapped up in this love of the Trinity is the goal that God was working towards. With each nail pounded into Jesus' wrists. With each step that Jesus took out of his grave. With each soul today that Jesus is redeeming and adding to his church. And with each day that passes until Christ returns. God's eternal glory Our eternal joy, coming together as one forever. This this is the biggest story ever told. and We get to be part of it. What I hope this morning as we finish this message is that the question, what does this mean for us today? I hope that this question answers itself for you. Because I hope that you've seen this morning that just simply getting a glimpse of this bigness, this huge, big story changes things. Like we talked about last week, just simply seeing, seeing this, it changes things. It puts our whole lives into perspective. It's impossible to be grumpy when you get this. It's impossible to feel tempted by sin when you get this. It's impossible to yell at your kids when you get this. It's impossible to be whatever, fill in the blank. It's impossible to despair when we get this. Whatever's ahead for you this week, whatever struggles, temptations, whatever's going to face you, simply remembering what we've heard this morning should have a a transforming effect on our hearts, helping us to see things clearly and accurately. There's so much joy, stability that comes to our souls when we understand this big story and the fact that God has promised to give us the same love for Jesus that he has and we get to do that forever as we work and serve and reign with him on a new heavens and a new earth and that this was all planned out from before the mountains were built. So please, I want to, call us as a church to apply apply these truths to our lives this week by remembering them. Just remember these things. Remember them in the midst of your Monday morning. Remember them in the midst of your Thursday night. Remember these things. Don't forget about them. Why not take Genesis 1-1 or Psalm 92 or or John 17-26? Write it out on a sticky note. Why not stick it on the dashboard of your car as you drive to work or above your sink or you wash dishes or above your workbench or think about these things. Ask God to help you understand how wonderful these things are. And believe me, these truths will transform you as you think and meditate and chew on them. They can't help but change you. If you don't know Christ this morning... Please come talk to me. I want to help you understand that you can get in on this. I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in a song that praises God for being the eternal one and starts starts the chorus of worship that we're going to carry on forever in all of our working and loving and serving with Jesus in the new creation. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go into our weeks, you'd help us to remember these things. Help us to savor and love the truth that forever you've been loving your perfect son with perfect love. And that forever we will get to love that same son with that same perfect love. And Father, I pray you'd help that to start today. I pray that you would help us today to begin to act and to live and to love like this. Oh, God, help this vision of glory to transform our souls this week. Help us, Lord, to go out being zealous to invite others to this same love, this same joy that's been promised us forever. We thank you, we praise you, and we look forward, Jesus, to being able to love you forever perfectly.